0: What's up, bingers? My guest today is an award-winning investigative journalist and best-selling author. He has appeared in a lot of true crime shows that you've probably seen, and even consulted on the Showtime series, Dexter. He is the host of the new Crossing the Line podcast. Please welcome M. William Phelps. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. All right. I'm joined by M. William Phelps. Uh, a lot of you may be familiar with his work. He's been on a ton of true crime documentaries. And th- thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I'm really enjoying
1: the new podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's great to meet you. Call me Matthew, please. That's what the M is for, Matthew.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you, uh, I, I wasn't sure if I call you
1: M the whole time, like like a <laughs> James Bond movie. A lot. Well, lots of people call me Michael. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't have any gold medals. <laughs> Michael Phelps,
0: the, the swimmer. Well, I, I was going to ask you, like, who did it first? Was it you or Shyamalan that started going with the M.
1: I did. I did it twenty uh, something years ago. So yeah. you beat you I mean, beat him to the punch. <laughs> I think I might have. Yeah, I think okay. I might have. All
0: right. So first thing, tell me a little bit about. I, I mean, you have a, a ton of a ton of stuff that you've done. I didn't. I've seen you before um, on on several. I'm, I'm obviously into true crime. That's why I do this. On, on Several things on right. ID and on oxygen, right? But I didn't realize you, you were your your. Sounds like your true passion is you're
1: a you're an author.
0: You have over forty five books. You're a New York Times best selling author.
1: Yeah, I've been writing true crime now for oh geez um, since the nineties, late nineties, and publishing books since or you know uh, in early two thousands. And it, you know it's not something that I planned on doing. I you know, the day before i I became a true crime writer author, I didn't know I was gonna be that. I, I mean, I found a uh-huh. great story close to me. Uh, a nurse, Kristen Gilbert, was on trial for killing seven of her patients. So I started covering that case, and that case turned into a book. I investigated it, and you know, found out she killed likely uh, over a hundred people. And so that book became perfect poison. and next thing i knew i was a true crime author you know i i really didn't know uh there was a genre true crime you know i was just passionate about telling stories about people you know that was my passion right well you know back in the 90s
0: you know true crime wasn't as on the nose as it is now where it's its own like sub. so it's its own genre now it wasn't really like that back in the 90s
1: it's funny i've seen it go through this kind of uh trend you know um when I started, it was black and red book covers, true crime, and it was looked mm-hmm. at as drugstore pulp. Uh, us writers weren't looked; we were looked at as tabloidish type of writers. Mm-hmm. And and then it it kind of peaked a little bit in the uh, um, two thousands, two thousand ten, somewhere around there. And you know what really pissed me off about the genre a lot, Bob, is that. Um, Someone like uh, uh, James B. Stewart. yeah, that's his name. Um, you know, he's a great writer. He, he wrote for the New Yorker. He wrote for some newspapers, etc. You know, he'll put out a book and they'll call it narrative nonfiction, but it's a true mm-hmm. crime book. You know, you know, he's writing right. about serial murder. So there was a, there was kind of a, uh, uh. True, true crime authors were kind of marginalized into this, you know, kind of uh, subsection of what I like to say is my books back then, even today, are in the bookstore on the bottom shelf by the toilet. That's where the true crime section usually is.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And Barnes you and know? Noble's in the back corner of the store by the restrooms.
1: Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I put in a tremendous amount of effort, work, investigation. Exclu- getting exclusive information from my books. And people can call them whatever they want. I just keep doing the work, you know? And, and you originally cut your teeth as an investigative journalist, right, before you
0: started writing books?
1: Yeah. I'm, I am I mean, I'm going to talk about this on an episode of Crossing the Line in in uh, the next eight, ten weeks or so. I'm going to dedicate an episode to it. But, I, you know, in, in, the, in the 90s, I was just writing for newspapers freelance covering politics I I covered music for the most part Uh, Mm -hmm. but I like to write about people and I heard this guy in the radio his name is William Acosta uh, and he was just a mole he did work for the CIA FBI uh, he became a NYPD detective and uh, everywhere he went he rooted out corruption so Mm -hmm. I gave him a call and I said, you know, I'd I'd like to work on a story about you. That story became, wow, this is a book. And we became close. And you know, he's been an investigator his entire life. So when I met him, I was a journalist and he taught me how to be an investigative journalist. He really taught me how to investigate people and crime and et cetera. So yeah, I I, I was on the beat, <laughs> Bob. Yeah. Is that what you is that what you went to
0: school for? Was was journalism?
1: Bob, I, I mean, I, I I did not graduate high school. I do not have a GED. I never went to college. I uh, when I decided I want to be a wanted to be a journalist. I um, took some you know uh, non credited college journalism courses uh, in the summer. Uh, mm-hmm. Learned and I learned from the pros what to do, what not to do, and then I just ran with it. You know, um, so writing is a passion. If you're not passionate about writing and about your subject there's no way that i can get up at five o'clock in the morning and write there's just no way i can do it but sure I- i'm driven by it you know, th- th- that's super
0: interesting i mean it's a whole nother sidebar my feelings on our uh on our education system and the and what what schools right the pressure schools you know i've, I've got four right. kids i've got a couple that that really Me as well s- Yeah, I got a couple that really excel at school. I've got and I've got a couple that really struggle. My oldest um, is about to turn to twenty one in a couple weeks. But like when he was in school, you know, he just school wasn't his thing. He's very artistic. He's got a lot going on. And you
1: know, same with me. Same with me. I you know, my mind was somewhere else. My mind was on big things. You know, not uh, algebra. You know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it just, I just hated, you know, I had my own, as when I was younger, before I had kids and stuff, I had my own preconceived notions about, you know, the conformity that we've been taught our whole lives about, well, if you want to be successful, you got to go to college and this and that. And then, right. And then then I have a kid who's, who struggles with school, bright kid struggles at school. And they just, they, you know, he was just made to feel less than he was made to feel like he could never succeed because he wasn't good at geometry. And it's, it's just horrible. bullshit. So I love hearing stories like yours where it's like, you know, you didn't need all that. You know, and there's, I have, I have a degree uh, in fire science and another one in business administration. I was a fire chief before I did this. And I tell people all the time, all those years of school I did, I learned more about how to be a firefighter in my first week of being a firefighter than I did in years of college. And, that's
1: the, th- Bob, yeah. That's the th- that, that was my whole mentality. My mentality was, if I want to be a boxer the best. I'm going to get in the ring with Mike Tyson and let him whip my ass until I can whip his ass, right? So Mm -hmm. I approached writing that way. Anytime I saw a a Pulitzer Prize or a New York Times bestselling author uh, 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 teaching a course or giving a seminar, I jumped at it because Mm -hmm. I want the information they have. I want what they have, you know? So- That Yeah. I I mean, you can't learn to write in school. You can learn to, you know, you can learn English, you can learn grammar, you can learn all that, but you can't learn to be a creative writer in school. You just have to do it, you know?
0: Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and my my story is similar to all this, all this, you know, somehow I ended up from being a fire chief to being a uh, true crime podcast or my other show truth and justice you know i write a, i write a 25 page script every every week and you know we've got hundreds of thousands of listeners. like when did I, how did I, when the hell did i become a writer when did that happen
1: and so those pieces of paper on your wall are meaningless to what you're doing right now and what you're passionate about 100 percent right? meaningless yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so so yeah, I I have one piece of paper on my wall in my office, and it's a, it's it's an award, and I'm not a big award guy, uh, but it's an award from uh, the Connecticut Society of Journalists for um, investigating uh, investigative journalism, and mm-hmm. that makes me proud that they acknowledged an article I wrote for Connecticut Magazine because I busted my ass on it. Um, yeah, and that that article actually became the first season of Paper Ghosts, the the missing girls. That was the iHeartRadio uh, program you did, yeah. podcast you did, right? Yeah, yeah. Season one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, and that was I listened to a lot of that. That was that was super interesting too. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a it's such an interesting. You know, I used because I I taught a lot within the fire service, and I you, there was these things that where you had to you know jump through all these hoops to get accredited with the state, or because I created my own classes and I traveled around the country and taught you know incident command classes and risk management classes. And then, you know, some people say, "Well, is this is this accredited by the IFSAC, the the national organization?" And I and I would always answer the same thing. I was like, "Well, the, this is what you got to ask yourself. Do you want to be certified or qualified?" Cuz I'll teach you that's how true. to do it. And that's and right. You're you're the, right. the I can give you a piece of paper that doesn't mean shit. But that's right. What you want to do right. is be qualified. And that's what you did. And I, I I I just love those stories. My my showrunner for uh my TV series on Oxygen, yeah, uh, had never, just very similar, dropped out of high school dropout. And she's, you know, she's right. a big show runner with a ton of huge productions. She just learned right. on the job how to do her job.
1: I, I mean, I, you know, I've produced a lot, executive produced a lot of, uh, true crime and, uh, people I meet, people I hire, same thing, creatives, mm-hmm. you know, they, they just, they follow their passion, you know, and, and I encourage my kids to do that. Um, and like you, I have four kids and, and one of them is in her final leg of uh, the physician's assistant program. Um, she's smart. She's going to be a PA. Uh, the others, uh, you know, one's a restaurant manager, one's a chef, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and the, my other child is three. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but. <laughs> Started over, huh? Uh, not by design, Bob, that's, 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 that's a whole, that's a 10 episode podcast. (laughs) Um, but no, I have, I have a 33 year old, a 31 year old, a 22 year old and a three year old. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so right about the time you were getting out of the woods, you're changing diapers again. uh, Oh God. Yeah. Well, she doesn't live with me. She lives in Utah. I live in Connecticut. I love her. She's beautiful. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a story in and of itself. (laughs)
0: Uh. (laughs) Uh, so when did you make the leap from oh you haven't because you're still writing but but you're also now you have you've you've broken into the true crime space you did you know we mentioned the uh paper ghost the iHeart radio series and now you've you've just started this year crossing the line but you've also done a ton of work in in television how did how did that happen when did you when did you make that again, I keep wanting to call it a leap or a transition, but it's not like you quit doing your other work at the same time. But how did that opportunity present itself to you?
1: Um, Well, that that same book I wrote about the killer nurse, Perfect Poison, uh, I got a call from a production company out of Australia, Beyond Productions, and they were doing uh, a pilot called uh, Poisonous Women for Discovery Channel. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is pre-investigation discovery. Um, And so they came over. They interviewed me. You know, we did some, uh, you know, uh, standups outside, and we went to the scene and all of that stuff. And when they got the uh, the producer got the material back in Australia, he called me. He said, "Listen," he said, uh, "You're great. I mean, you you have it. Lots of people don't have it." And I'm like, "Well, I'm just being myself." And he says, "I mm-hmm. I, I want to work a lot more with you." So, "Poisonous Women" was a three part series on Discovery. And then a couple years later, Investigation Discovery started, so they turned poisonous women into deadly women. And they mm-hmm. hired me, and I've been on every season. I do like 10 episodes a season. Um, and, and then that just snowballed for me. It turned into other TV stuff. And then I, I created a, a show called Dark Minds, and uh, I brought in Beyond Productions, and we sold it to discover, uh, Investigation Discovery did three seasons of that. It was uh unsolved uh, cold case serial killer show. Um, I had a, uh, I had a serial killer on each week. It was kind of like silence of the lambs. He was anonymous and he mm-hmm. would give me direction. He would help me with the cases I was looking at. Um, and I did that with John Kelly, a forensic psychologist. Um, and uh, yeah, so that led to more, you know, and um, as you know, I'm sure. I quickly learned that you need to produce, you need to be an executive producer of what you're doing in order to, um, uh, you know, in order to a uh, be involved and make sure it's, it's to the standard you like um, and b to have some ownership of what you create, you know?
0: Uh, Yeah. I think that's huge. I've got a lot of friends in the, in the podcast space that have stepped into the TV space a little bit. And I heard, luckily I'd heard enough horror stories I had two things working in my advantage when I when I did um, the the Forgotten West Memphis Three on Oxygen, and that was I had heard enough horror stories to to not to, to not give up complete creative control over my content, and also right. I didn't want to be on TV, which put me in a pretty unique uh, uh, uh. negotiating <laughs> position. <laughs> so I was like, "No, I want veto power over this," and they're like, "No way!" I'm like, "Okay, well then, fuck off," because <laughs> I don't really want to do this
1: anyway. It's funny you know you mentioned that because my passion is writing the television program uh producing it, filming it mm. my war- my least favorite part of it is when it airs you know uh, yeah I don't watch I don't watch it uh, People today are just horrible uh they, they I could be talking about you know a, a girl who's been raped and strangled and thrown in a pond. Uh, and her parents end up finding her, you know, and people will attack my hair and my shoes and, you know, right. uh, you know, and it's like, you know, what's important here, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, I've learned to just have uh, tough skin and I've learned not to read reviews at all, podcasts, re- any reviews anymore. Just yeah, same. Don't even go, don't even go there, you know, um, it's, it's, people are horrible out there. You know, or I should say people can be horrible out there, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone, not everyone, obviously, but, you know, social media is just ruthless. Yeah, it takes, that's my
0: advice to all, everybody, all new podcasters when their shows start to get popular is stop reading the reviews, just stop, you're going to make yourself nuts. One of our co-hosts, Zach, and our on Truth and Justice on our Friday follow-up. Still, he read the very first review. Uh, he read a bunch of reviews when he first joined the show, and he still to this day. Anytime somebody says anything bad, he goes, "Well, I guess I'm just a stupid bag of doorknobs anyway." Because that was the first that was the first Apple review that he read.
1: That's you know that's the creative guy because the creative guy gets a thousand five star reviews, but only mm-hmm. focuses on the one. Yep. You know one star attack, and here's here's the reality i've learned about podcast reviews here's the reality you know millions of listeners subscribers a hundred bad reviews or attacks are meaningless it's it's like point zero 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 one percent of what you're doing you know so i i just can't read any of them you know P- on my own social media my instagram and my twitter and my facebook you know people will come on and and um oh, yeah, it's, I love what you do. It's great. And thank you very much. I appreciate that. I really do. I really genuinely appreciate, you know, you liking it, you know, because it, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much work goes into a podcast. I mean. Right. It, it, yeah. People, people a lot of times think that in it,
0: that because they heard a 35 minute episode that you spent 35 minutes making yeah. the episode and they don't know, it took five people 60 hours this week to make that 35
1: minutes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, and it took another, you know, 20 hours of writing, you know, and editing right. and, uh, and research. And, you know, so yeah, you know, and actually getting into the podcast world for me was an interesting story because, uh, you know, I had the books I had been writing, I'd been doing TV executive producing. So I had those two things going in the true crime space. And a couple of companies approached me about a podcast and I I I did I felt icky. Um I was like, mm. yeah, I'm not I'm not ready to jump in that space yet. And then iHeart, I had a meeting with them and I just loved what they had to say to me and I jumped mm. right in. And I and I took everything I learned from book writing and TV producing and all of that and just put it into this, you know, and and I really love the format. I really do. It's 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 perfect for me.
0: There's a lot of freedom in in podcasting and you're not limited to you know, I, I kind of yeah. went the other way. I was in podcasting and then into TV, and that was a struggle for me trying to. You know, when everything now has to fit into, you know, with auction, the show had to be a six act structure in an hour, and you had these this many minutes, and then the, you know, it's, it's like this everything had to be in these like tight little windows, and it was really difficult for me
1: on the and creative the control side. and yeah. the, and the network control of it all. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it uh, okay, I get it. I get, I get, you know, they have a certain thing they need for their viewers. I get that. But it's, it it is hard. It is hard to do. Yes. Very
0: frustrating. So so one of the things I see in your, in your bio that really caught my attention was I I read that you consulted on the Showtime series Dexter, which is like one of my all time favorite shows. Like, tell me about that, how
1: that happened. And what was your role? I, I got a call before the first episode of the entire show even aired, uh, about six months or so before, and I got a call if I could, and I had to do this quick, uh, if I could turn around a, uh, that what they wanted to do is create a contest, a website and, and, and a live contest where in the back of semi tractor trailer trucks, glassed in, create a crime scene. Uh, with a real serial killer, son of Sam, you know what, whatever, Uh, Bundy. Uh Create a scene and have people guess who the killer is, and then your name goes into a hat, if you will, for a car. But with Uh Dexter advertising over the whole thing, right? Right. So, I called him back and I had a meeting and I said, "Listen, I said you can't do that. You can't. You can't put real victims in the back of a semi truck. That's that's insensitive, and you're going to get sued." Mm -hmm. Um. I said, why not just make it a crime scene and have Dexter the killer? Uh, that's that's good advertising. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I, I created all that, and then I created some crime scenes for them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I had to do it real quick. Uh, so I had to read the book, uh, read all the materials, get all the character studies, and, and I, I literally was up for like 48 hours uh, doing this. And then another two days of, of, of putting it all together. It was, it was intense. Uh, it was fun and, you know, it's a good credential. I mean, I, I worked on it on the show before it even aired, which I loved. Now, did you, uh, I'm assuming you're, you're not still working on that, on that project. No, absolutely not. Um, that, that, that show took off in a direction, you know? Um, yeah. and, and, it's a it was a great show uh i know jeff Lindsay. i uh you know i know him and he's very happy with it all obviously <laughs> why wouldn't he yeah. be um uh but yeah no i i i didn't um I, i've been called to consult on um movies for tv crime movies you know um so i've done a little bit of that uh, uh which is it's it's fun and it's exciting but it's ultimately frustrating mm-hmm. i've i i was i was asked to consult um, one thing that's interesting is i consulted on piers morgan had a show called um killer women and then a show called serial killer and they called me to con- to, to be his consultant on that so i i i literally hooked him up with some serial killers that i had been kind of corresponding with for years so he could interview them. And I traveled with him to talk to him about h- how to interview serial killers, you know? Uh, of course, right. hardly none of my advice was taken. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, um, I kind of feel like they just wanted my name on it for some reason. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's a, great, he's a great guy. I mean, uh, despite his, his brand, he's a, he's a really nice guy. The production company was, was great. And it would, th- that was really, I really enjoyed that on the ground. Where the crimes took place, uh, talking, uh, consulting with uh, uh, someone who's going to go in and interview a serial killer and tell you know. So, I had brought my expertise to that, which you know, interviewing a serial killer is a, um, it's a dance. You have to know what you're doing. You you, mm-hmm. you cannot be off your game for one second, and and so it's it's an art really, and I've I've really mastered the art of that um, to my own mental. Psychological detriment, really. So, when you you
0: started this uh this podcast, Crossing Line, it's another iHeartRadio production. How did that come to you? Was that was that was Crossing the Line your brainchild, or is it something they brought to you and and wanted to start it?
1: So, so Paper Ghost season one, the narrative podcast for iHeart, was really. I mean, it was number one for four or five weeks, and mm-hmm. it, it was it continues to do really well. Season two. Uh, Paper Ghosts, different case, same thing. Uh, Hit number one and it's doing very well. So iHeart, we sat down and they said, you know, uh, we'd like to create some more with you. And I said, sure. You know, so I signed up for two more seasons of Paper Ghosts. I signed up for a separate narrative uh, podcast uh, that's not Paper Ghosts and not crossing the line. And then they said, we want to do a weekly with you. Uh, What what do you Mm -hmm. have for an idea? So I gave them a, a pitch of what I wanted to do, and they said, "Great, we love it. Let's do it." Uh, and so it, it kind of all came together um, because it, it's a great partnership. Uh, iHeart and and I uh, were a great partnership. They're they're a, they're a f- phenomenal company to work with in this space for me. Um, my my producer for Paper Ghosts, uh, Christina Everett, godsend. I mean, I, I don't know how I could have done any of it without her. Um, and, and she's on week, she's on the weekly. She didn't want to do it. Uh, I said, but you're a natural talent. We have natural chemistry. Uh, we, we fight, you know, we, we disagree on stuff and it's perfect. You, you're going to be my, uh, my right hand person on the show and she's great. She sounds great. That's all, so, so tell us about crossing the line of people
0: tune in. What, what can they expect to hear on crossing the line?
1: So crossing the line, uh, our third episode uh, drops tomorrow, and what it is is, you know, I'm taking all my experience uh, from the true crime space, uh, book writing, television, and 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 more than anything, uh, connections and access that I that I've uh, managed to get uh, over the years. You know, uh, I, I mean, I've met, I know personally detectives. Everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, people trust me. I've never burnt a source. And so I, I get tremendous access to cases. Um, and and so with crossing the line, I, you know, I'm going to do, it's going to be part missing people, you know, part uh, uh, serial murder, uh, part straightforward murder cases like crime junkies like that. You know, I pick mm-hmm. a case and we, 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 we look at it. But I'm going to bring my experience and my expertise into it to kind of analyze different aspects of it and approach it in a different way. Um, and, and, and you're going to hear interviews with experts as well. You know, like last week's episode uh, was the Annie Lay case from Yale. She was uh, murdered at Yale, a scientist. And um, I, I, I just happened to know the, the crime scene tech who found her inside of a wall, Peter mm-hmm. Valentin. And so I said, Peter, come on the show. Let's talk about it. So, you know, Annie Lay was a big high-profile case when it happened, but now I'm bringing in somebody who was there to tell right. a story that has never been told about it. And that's what I'm going to do with crossing the line. I, I might, you might be familiar with the case, but you're not going to be familiar with the information I'm going to give you with guests and my own experience. Right. Yeah. And you interview victims, family members, like you said, yeah. people who worked on the case, experts. And one of my 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 big, big things uh, that I want to promote with this, that I want to project out, uh, is victims' families' stories of what they go through, mm-hmm. right? Of, of the process of, especially when we're talking about missing people um, and unsolved cases, you know, every knock on the door, every time a phone rings, could be 20, 30 years a family wonders. Is that the call? Is that the knock? So Mm -hmm. I want to bring family members on and I want them to just talk and and say what they need to say. Um, I just interviewed a family two days ago. It's going to be an episode coming up um, in a couple of weeks. And this uh, um, family, a minority, woman's son went missing and the cops wouldn't help her. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't help her. And so, she had to do it herself. She ends up finding her own son dead in a river. The mother is the wow. one who finds the son. Um, So, uh, those are the types of stories I want to bring, you know? Mm-hmm. Um And, uh, you know... Obviously, I'm going to be talking, there's a there's a part of the show crossing the line, the first five minutes or so, where I'm going to talk about a topical issue, Gabby Petito right now, whatever. But I'm not going to be focusing on on that high profile stuff for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. I'll talk about it, I'll give my opinion on it, and then I'll move on to my case for the week. Uh, but I, I just think um, the way that high profile cases are are made, created, I just have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I just have a problem with it. There, There's, you know, there's missing people, there's families hurting everywhere. And, you know, I, and and look, I called this back in 2017. I wrote about it in a book. I called it then the Natalie Holloway syndrome. Mm-hmm. Now it's called the the white woman syndrome. But it, I caught in 2017, I wrote about it. I said, you know, uh, if a blonde blue eyed girl from a wealthy family or a, you know, uh suburban family goes missing the satellite trucks are at the house but right. you know down down the street there's a, a latino family there's a puerto rican family there's a black family and they have a person missing and there's no one talking to them
0: right you know, and that's yeah.
1: wrong and and that is wrong that mm-hmm. is wrong but that's i think that's who we are as a country really right um it, it's like those are the stories that get the ratings. Those are the st- you know, so so the media jumps at that opportunity, you know. Um, not to say that Gabby Petito is not important. Of course, she's a a, a daughter, you know, she's a, a sister, or whatever, and her life uh, is as valuable as somebody else's. But we can't place uh, more value on one life than another. You follow me, Bob?
0: Hundred percent. You know, I I just had this conversation a couple weeks ago on the show about Gabby Gabby Petito discussing exactly what you're discussing. We looked at, you know, how many missing and murdered indigenous women are being ignored and all these things. And the point I was making is, is along the same lines what you're saying is my point is not that Gabby Petito deserved less attention. My point is that everybody deserves that attention that that she, it shouldn't only be the, the, like you said, the blonde haired, blue eyed white girl. That, that has the whole nation in an uproar looking for. It, you know, right. It, it's not that she deserves less, but we should have that same passion to help everyone.
1: You know, in 2011, uh, I did a episode of my show, Dark Minds, uh, called The Highway of Tears. And I traveled um, about 800 miles north of Anchorage, Alaska, into British Columbia, where the Highway of Tears kind of begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it travels all throughout Canada over towards Toronto, uh, three thousand miles. But I went up there and I uh, I interviewed Indigenous Native families because those were the women that were missing up there, right? And they were like, nobody cares. No, nobody cares. Nobody's looking for my daughter. Nobody cares. And I was I was just I I. I left that area with a, a cloud over me, you know, that, that one day I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, uh, you know, um, I'm going to focus on it. And it, it's just heartbreaking because, you know, from my own family, uh, there's an unsolved murder in my family. My brother's wife was strangled to death. She was five months pregnant in 1996. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I know what it's like for a family i i I can empathize with a family going through the same thing you know uh and it's I look at their kids my brother's my brother's dead as well now um and I look at their kids and there's just this hollowness about them you know that somebody killed our mother it's unsolved um and she was not well liked by the police their mother mm-hmm. so I, I don't know man i uh, I just i, I... I don't know, and and that's why I'm, I'm crossing the line. I'm doing this episode about this mother who found her own son. I, that's why I'm doing right. it. I'm doing it to to give them a fucking voice that they fucking deserve. That's why I'm doing it. But I think
0: that's also awesome. the whole concept of of taking these cases and not the big, popular, high profile cases, but shining a light on lesser known cases. And that leads. I, I yeah. want to talk a couple things. One, we've we've said a couple times things that that happened like this week or last week. So uh matthew and i are recording this is pr- probably about four weeks before it airs and in those so the the episode you're talking about with the mother who found her own son should be already on the air by the time our audience hears this so definitely check that out and i believe the case that, that, that we're going to touch on right now it hasn't aired yet but it's the uh the case of patty is it lucy or lose how do you pronounce her last name uh patty loose patty loose um, this is another episode that's coming that, that should be should have aired already when this episode airs for you to check it out. But why don't you give us kind of the, the basic beats of the, the Patty Loose case?
1: It, Patty Loose case is uh, I grew up in the same town, uh, Vernon, Connecticut, Vernon, Rockville, Connecticut. And I have to go back to Paper Ghost Season 1. That mm-hmm. That is about four missing girls from my hometown of mm-hmm. Vernon rockville and uh, that i grew up you know i grew up hearing about i knew one of the girls etc and and when you know lots of people over the years because i i had been investigating those cases for 12 years at the time and over the years i would get i would get people writing to me about you know patty loose you should include her in these four girls because you know and i'm and, and and she was never connected to the four girls and i i you know but it was a case, Patty Loose, that everybody knew about. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, I went to I went to school with one of her brothers. You know, she was a bit older than me, so I, I uh, she was out of high school by the time I was in high school, mm-hmm. or she was in high school. I wasn't in high school yet. Rather, so Patty Loose, uh, her parents are on vacation in uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, she's home with her brothers. She's. 17, 18 years old. And her brother uh, drives her to the 7 Eleven nearby uh, at night. And, uh, you know, it's a frequent place. I frequented it myself. You loiter there, you hang out, you drink beers mm-hmm. in the car, you smoke on the side of the building. You, you know, it's right near the high school. So back then, and this is 78, back then, this was a place that you would definitely hang out at. In the 80s, sure. you know, I'm, you know, so she's never seen again after that. So she goes into the store. The brother says, you know, do you want to ride home? And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll walk. Cause it's very close, very close to the house. Very close. Um, and we walked everywhere then Every, we walked everywhere. So the brother takes off, he goes, uh, you know, out on his bike and uh, Patty walks out of the 7-Eleven and she's not seen again for like eight months And then her body's found like 40 miles away. And it's an unsolved case, but on the show uh, that you'll hear the episode, I solved this case. I know who did it. I know who did it. Oh, wow. I spent a lot. I spent a lot of years on this case. I interview her brother who's never been interviewed, um, not not for a show, but by police. He was interviewed Mm -hmm. that night, the next day, but he hasn't been re-interviewed since. I interview him. I interview her other brother and her father, Um, and uh, we talk about what happened. We talk about the dynamic of the neighborhood. We talk about who was at the 7-Eleven that night. I I was able to get some exclusive reports from the Vernon Police Department about the case. And so you're going to hear from her sister. uh, 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 You're going to hear from her brothers and her father, and you're going to hear who did this. You're going to hear who did this and what happened to Patty Luce. Well,
0: that's awesome. I can't, I can't wait for that episode to air. And I, I think uh, your producers told me that it's going to air in about three weeks from now. It should be. So for you guys listening to this right now, if you haven't already, that's that's one to check out. Uh, Matthew and his team are, well, you, is your team is you, right? you're the. I mean, you have a team for the production of the podcast, but you're the one that's out doing the investigative work and all that
1: yeah I, I do the investigative work I'm I'm kind of mentoring Christina Everett my, my uh, producer uh, co cohort extraordinaire on 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 um, crossing the line uh, you know but there's only so much she can do uh, but I you know I have the contacts I, I work it uh, you know I get the documents I'm a big document guy I like to look at documents from the time mm-hmm. a crime occurred and I like to use those documents as a roadmap to start questioning people, or, you know talking to people interviewing people. Uh, the people you know uh, people know what happened but sometimes they don't know that they know right mm-hmm. and and sometimes all it takes is for someone to come in, I, I call it like uh, like c- crime hindsight, you know a case is kind of sitting there and then someone new comes in and looks at it objectively not from the lens of all the cops who looked at it cuz you know it's hard when you're in it you're too close to it i look at it and i notice things i notice new things you know you know and i'm stealthy sometimes when i do some work when i question when i interview people uh-huh. uh, they don't they don't know they're being interviewed you know they don't know who i am you know i kind of just bump into them you know um, right so it, it takes what it takes you know that whole if you know something say something well uh, what happens in cold cases is, is, and you might've heard this before, but time changes a lot because maybe the c- police interviewed somebody and then 10 years go by and that person now is divorced from their husband or they had a fallout with these people and now they want to start dishing. They want right. to start talking about what they know. There's no ties anymore to that th- those people. So it, it, it's very important to keep re-interviewing people over a span of time.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I I've a case I'm working right now on Truth and Justice was time changes things in so many different ways. You know, in this case you had a victim that wouldn't name it's a wrongful conviction case, wouldn't name the people that had attacked him and shot him and killed his friend. Why? And you know, years later, you know, fifteen years later, now he's like he's he's naming names and in in, in an interview he's he's he said, look, I was I was an idiot, I was a thug, I wanted to take care of it myself, I didn't want the police getting in the way, and now I'm a grown man, I'm mature, and
1: that's how it works.
0: Yeah, so time definitely changes things. Well, I can't wait to hear that episode when it comes out. His name is M. William Phelps. The podcast is called Crossing the Line. Check it out, there'll already be about seven or eight episodes in by the time you hear this episode. Give it a listen, I'm sure it's going to be your next big true crime binge, and Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Really looking forward to hearing the rest
1: of the podcast. It was great to meet you, Bob. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on.
0: True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audio Boom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.